Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Persecuted for your beliefs, jailed for your faith, and exiled from your homeland, but you refuse to turn to bitterness or vengeance. Instead, His Holiness has emerged as a leader of wisdom and compassion, a champion of nonviolence among nations. No society can truly succeed unless it guarantees the rights of all of its peoples, including religious minorities. Whether they're Ahmadiyya, Muslims in Pakistan, or Baha'i in Iran, or Coptic Christians in Egypt. I would like very much to confirm my support for the work that His Holiness and the Ahmadi Muslim community are doing, particularly in London. Even I didn't know when I was elected then my name even will be proposed. The election is the same as the Pope is elected, but without smoke. I know you are a regular uh, visitor and speaker to parliaments and assemblies around the world, whether it's the U.S. Congress or the, or the European Parliament. Let it be clear that I am not speaking in support or favor of any particular individual country. What I wish to say is that all forms of cruelty, wherever they exist, must be eradicated and stopped, regardless of whether they are perpetrated by the people of Palestine, the people of Israel, or the people of any other country. This we are allied with His Holiness, a courageous champion of religious freedom and of peace. I'm very glad that the movement like yours will do something to correct this image. Islam means peace. I should thank Your Holiness for your highly enlightened sermon, not only for the Ahmadis, but I would say for all mankind. Love for all and hatred for none. And this message not only for Muslims, but for everybody. You are a man, though of humble beginnings, your leadership has made you a figure of global prominence. And you have become a guide for millions of Muslims worldwide. The Holy Prophet foretold of a prophet, one which would be the second coming of Jesus Christ, a Mahdi a reformer who would revive Islam and lead it forward into a new era of success. The Holy Prophet requested his companions to convey his salam to this reformer of the new age. He said, When you hear the advent of the Mahdi, then enter into his fold, even if you have to walk on snow by crawling and creeping to reach him. The role and sole purpose of this subordinate prophet was made clear. He would revive Islam unite all its sects and establish a caliphate which would strengthen Islam and lead it forward into a new age. I give you the glad tidings of Mahdi who will be raised in my ummah at a time of digression and distress of people. He will fill the earth with equity and justice as it is filled with oppression and violence. 
But how could this promised man recognize that he was the one? It could only be through a revelation from God, and this revelation was received by the noble and humble Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad in 1891 in a small town of Qadian to the east of Damascus. It is now the duty of every Muslim to come forward and accomplish the appeal of the Holy Prophet to join in to the fold of this Prophet, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad the Reformer, the Mahdi, the Promised Messiah. I call to witness God Almighty who holds my life in His hand that compared to every other soul, He has gifted me with overwhelmingly greater ability and access to the understanding and the deeper wisdom of the Holy Quran. If any of the Maulvis who oppose me in response to my repeated invitations had attempted to outshine me in the exposition of the Holy Quran, God would have most certainly frustrated his attempts and exposed his ignorance. Hence, the understanding of the Quran which has been granted me is a sign of Allah, the Glorious, and I have full trust in Allah's grace that soon the world will begin to see that I am true in this claim. People are asking, Who is the gracious God? The gracious God is He who has created the sun and the moon for our benefit. The sun with which human life and the life of vegetation is associated. Through the attribute of Rahman, God grants without being asked. Can one say that the sun or the earth was created on account of one's deeds? Rahman is a being that grants beneficence of the kind that man does not have the capacity of giving. It is by virtue of being gracious that all creation receives God's universally prevalent beneficence. Prophets of God summon people to the gracious God for people's own good and not for any recompense. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the perfect manifestation of Rahman because his beneficence is incomparable. Being the perfect man, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had this quality in him more than anyone else and an ordinary person too should aspire to the paradigm deriving luminosity 
from the sun of 1400 years ago. In this age, the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, has further spread the light. The light of the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, is from that same gracious God. The quality of Rahmaniyat is pure favor and munificence and is not caused by any good act and is not the fruit or reward of anything. Despite humanity rejecting God, His Rahmaniyat remains overwhelming. If it were not for this divine quality, majority of humanity would have been destroyed because of its misdemeanors and sins. Despite rejecting God, people are asking, who is the gracious God? Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. What is the difference between Ahmadi Muslims and non-Ahmadi Muslims? This needs a very lengthy answer. But briefly, the main difference is in the belief concerning the advent of the Imam Mahdi, the Prince Messiah, and the reformer of the latter days. Non-Ahmadi Muslims expect that he will be sent by God in fulfilment of the prophecies of the Holy Prophet and are waiting for his advent. On the other hand, Ahmadi Muslims believe that his advent has already taken place and that the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian who also claimed that his advent fulfilled the prophecies that were mentioned in the scriptures of different religions about the coming of a reformer in the latter days. The followers of these religions, including non-Ahmadi Muslims, are still waiting for his advent. As for Ahmadi Muslims, as a result of believing that his advent has already taken place, they enjoy many blessings that other Muslims are deprived of. For example, Ahmadi Muslims enjoy the institution of Khilafat, which means that they are all united under one leadership and are escorted by a guided spiritual leader, while other Muslims remain divided and they disagree amongst themselves concerning many issues. Also, Ahmadi Muslims follow the true teaching of Islam as a result of following the teachings of the reformer of the age. The very important difference between the two is that Ahmadi Muslims believe in a living God whose attributes remain the same at all times, while other Muslims believe that some of his attributes have become idle. For example, his speech with his sincere servants. They think that he used to speak in the past, but for some reason, at the present time, he has stopped communicating with his servants through revelations. Taqwa is a tree that should be planted in the heart. The very water which nourishes taqwa irrigates the whole garden. Taqwa is a root without which everything is meaningless, and if it remains intact, then nothing is lost. What benefit is there for a man in indulging himself in the useless activity of claiming with his tongue that he seeks God while he has no sure footing with his Lord? Look, I say to you truly and sincerely that ruined is he whose faith is tainted by even a hint of worldliness. Hell is very close to that soul, all of whose intentions are not for God, rather some of them are for God and others are for the world. Thus, if you have an iota of worldly adulteration in your intentions, all your worship is in vain. In such a case, you do not follow God, rather you follow Satan, 
Never ever expect that when you are in such a condition, God will help you. Rather, in this condition you are a worm of the earth, and soon you will perish just as worms of the earth do. And God shall not be in you, rather he will be happy to destroy you. But if you, in reality, die by killing your baser selves, then you shall appear in God, and God shall be with you. Simplified Answers to Frequently Asked Questions What is the difference between Ahmadi Muslims and non-Ahmadi Muslims? This needs a very lengthy answer, but briefly, the main difference is in the belief concerning the advent of the Imam Mahdi, the Prince Messiah, and the Reformer of the latter days. Non-Ahmadi Muslims expect that he will be sent by God in fulfilment of the prophecies of the Holy Prophet and are waiting for his advent. On the other hand, Ahmadi Muslims believe that his advent has already taken place and that the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, who also claimed that his advent fulfilled the prophecies that were mentioned in the scriptures of different religions about the coming of a reformer in the latter days. The followers of these religions, including non-Ahmadi Muslims, are still waiting for his advent. As for Ahmadi Muslims, as a result of believing that his advent has already taken place, they enjoy many blessings that other Muslims are deprived of. For example, Ahmadi Muslims enjoy the institution of Khilafat, which means that they are all united under one leadership and are escorted by a guided spiritual leader, while other Muslims remain divided and they disagree amongst themselves concerning many issues. Also, Ahmadi Muslims follow the true teaching of Islam as a result of following the teachings of the reformer of the age. The very important difference between the two is that Ahmadi Muslims believe in a living God whose attributes remain the same at all times, while other Muslims believe that some of his attributes have become idle. For example, his speech with his sincere servants. They think that he used to speak in the past, but for some reason, at the present time, he has stopped communicating with his servants through revelations. Taqwa is a tree that should be planted in the heart. The very water which nourishes taqwa irrigates the whole garden. Taqwa is a root without which everything is meaningless, and if it remains intact, then nothing is lost. What benefit is there for a man in indulging himself in the useless activity of claiming with his tongue that he seeks God while he has no sure footing with his Lord? Look, I say to you truly and sincerely that ruined is he whose faith is tainted by even a hint of worldliness. Hell is very close to that soul, all of whose intentions are not for God, rather some of them are for God and others are for the world. Thus, if you have an iota of worldly adulteration in your intentions, all your worship is in vain. In such a case you do not follow God, rather you follow Satan, Never ever expect that when you are in such a condition, God will help you. Rather, in this condition you are a worm of the earth, and soon you will perish just as worms of the earth do. And God shall not be in you, rather he will be happy to destroy you. But if you, in reality, die by killing your baser selves, then you shall appear in God, and God shall be with you. Writings of the Promised Messiah Salam. On one occasion, this humble one saw, in a state of vision, Surah Al-Fatiha written on a piece of paper, which was in my hand, 
and the writing was so beautiful and attractive as if the paper on which it was written was loaded with soft rose petals beyond count. As I recited the verses of the surah, many of these rose petals flew upwards, producing a sweet musical sound. The flowers were very delicate, large, beautiful, fresh and full of fragrance. As they ascended, my heart and mind were perfumed with their fragrance, and I felt so intoxicated that the delight that I had experienced turned my heart completely away from the world and all that is in it. This vision indicates that the rose has a special spiritual affinity with Surah Al-Fatiha. of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to the live edition of another uh, breakfast show from Voice of Islam. So the first half, uh, uh, first half an hour, we will discuss about uh, weather and uh, different news items. And uh, similarly, in the first segment, from half past seven till um, eight fifteen, uh, we will discuss about uh, gaming addiction. And um, uh, likewise, in the second segment. Um, from 8.15 to onwards um, we'll discuss uh, about um, Jasad yes so um, as is the norm um, we always talk about um, two topics on the on the show so the first uh, topic is about uh, um, uh, is, is about uh, is about teenage um, is about teenage raping and uh, um, sorry, what did you have? Uh, the the first topic is gaming addiction. Yeah, is gaming addiction. Yeah. Yes. So we shall. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that uh, in the in the first hour. But as is the norm, we always start with the um, uh, with the news headlines. So the news headlines um, uh, this morning: are the, uh, a crucial week of uh, crunch shadows is on the way for Prime Minister Liz Truss, according to the I. After 
calls for her cabinet ministers to show unity. Ms. Truss will reportedly delay rumors to persuade plotting backbenchers to unite behind her as the leader. The Daily Express also reports on recent infighting in the Conservative Party, saying that rebel plotters have been told to show loyalty for the good of the country. Ms. Truss is expected to go against her own policy to rein in public spending by assuaging discontented MPs by raising welfare benefits in line with inflation. The Times carries the headline turns, um, Trust Turns on the Charm. The paper focuses on the Prime Minister's plan to abandon cuts to real-term benefits, saying Liz Trust will begin an unprecedented charm offences to win over Tory MPs this week. Ahead of the return of the Parliament on Tuesday, Ms. Trust is, is uh, said to be preparing to take a more emollient approach after unease in Cabinet about personal briefings against some MPs. While The Guardian's front page image reflects the damage of a missile strike on an apartment block in Ukraine, the paper's main story focuses on the pressure facing this trust by Tory rebels. The Prime Minister was uh, said to be teetering close to another major U-turn over plans to cut benefits. It notes the dispute over welfare threatened to overshadow the Prime Minister's attempt to reassert her authority when the Commons returns. The story adds... Wrath of Putin is uh, the Metro's headline, which is accompanied by an image showing a destroyed residential building in Ukraine. It leads with the death of at least 15 civilians following a Russian missile strike on an apartment block in the city, which comes just one day after an explosion of a bridge linking Crimea with Russia. The Daily Telegraph also adds with the attack in Ukraine over the weekend, focusing on the blast at the Kerch Bridge in Crimea. It reports comments from Vladimir Putin who described the explosion as a terrorist act carried out by the Ukrainian secret services. Ukrainian officials have not claimed responsibility for the attack, which the paper says paved the way for an escalation in criminals, Kremlin's response. The energy crisis makes the front page of the Daily Star, where the paper has paraphrased the famous saying, let them eat cake for a story on bakeries. It reports that the rising cost of living means some Britons are heading to bakeries to keep warm as they don't have enough money to heat their homes. Monday's Financial Times leads with a story from Washington where U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has deemed a move by OPEC Plus to cut oil production as unhelpful and unwise. Ms. Yellen tells the paper that last week's decision by the oil cartel is particularly concerning for poor nations which are already struggling with high energy prices. The The story notes that the Biden administration has been loudly critical of the move which has been backed by Saudi Arabia and Russia. And finally, an investigation by the Daily Mail into course material at universities is the front is the paper's front page exclusive. Universities are decolonizing some of the courses to mollify woke activists. The paper says a move which is said to be one of the number of ways in which academics are imposing left wing ideology on the curriculum. So those are the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue with what. Um, uh, with the key stories this morning. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah Ashhadu an 
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Persecuted for your beliefs, jailed for your faith, and exiled from your homeland, but you refuse to turn to bitterness or vengeance. Instead, His Holiness has emerged as a leader of wisdom and compassion, a champion of nonviolence among nations. No society can truly succeed unless it guarantees the rights of all of its peoples including religious minorities. Whether they're Ahmadiyya, Muslims in Pakistan, or Baha'i in Iran, or Coptic Christians in Egypt. I would like very much to confirm my support for the work that His Holiness and the Ahmadi Muslim community are doing, particularly in London. Even I didn't know when I was elected, then my name even will be proposed. The election is the same as the Pope is elected, but without smoke. I know you are a regular uh, visitor and speaker to parliaments and assemblies around the world, whether it's the US Congress or the, or the European Parliament. Let it be clear that I am not speaking in support or favor of any particular individual country. What I wish to say is that all forms of cruelty, wherever they exist, must be eradicated and stopped, regardless of whether they are perpetrated by the people of Palestine, the people of Israel, or the people of any other country. In this we are allied with His Holiness, a courageous champion of religious freedom and of peace. I'm very glad that the movement like yours will do something to correct this image. Islam means peace. I should thank Your Holiness for your highly enlightened sermon, not only uh, for the Ahmadis, but I would say for all mankind. Love for all and hatred for none. And this message not only for Muslims, but for everybody. man, though of humble beginnings, your leadership has made you a figure of global prominence, and you have become a guide for millions of Muslims worldwide. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. 
السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ میں پیس اینڈ بلیسنگز اف اللہ بی اپون یو ویلکم بیک ٹو دس لائیو ایڈیشن اف دی بریکفاسٹ شو فرام ساؤتھ لرن اسٹوڈیوز آف وائس آف اسلام ٹوڈے از منڈے دی 10th اف اکتوبر 2022 اینڈ وی ناؤ ہیو دی ڈیٹیلز اف دی ٹو سیگمنٹس دیٹ ویل بی ٹاکنگ اباؤٹ سو دی فرسٹ ٹاپک از وی ڈڈ اناؤنس واز گیمنگ اینڈ دی سیکنڈ ٹاپک وچ وی وی شڈ اسٹارٹ اراؤنڈ 8:30 اے ایم is about insomnia so um we're going to be talking about insomnia from the angle of the existing from the lens of rather the uh, the current cost of living crisis so has insomnia exacerbated as a result of the cost of living crisis and that's the discussion we'll have please do join in both of these discussions by calling us at 0208 687 7878 uh imam shahzeb uh, any news items since we're talking about the the, the current news um uh, in the newspapers this morning any anything you want to talk about i mean it's a any, anything interesting anything i think interesting. Just, yeah, absolutely nothing's interesting absolutely yeah <laughs> well it's a shame the way the world is right mm. now in its dire predicament um yeah you know the uk with its leadership issues you know the eastern european with the war um and the overall you know financial economic burden on the countries um at large you know your superpowers and what have you and so it all really seems quite you know dire and despair um but there's some progress if we can call it that with the uh, Elon Musk's sort of wading into the China and Taiwan uh, dispute or tension um to the world's richest man and said in, in the FD in the Financial Times interview he believed that two the two governments could reach a reasonable palatable arrangement um, China's ambassador to the US praised Musk but his uh, Taiwanese counterpart said freedom is not for sale um, so well, what he's trying to do I think broker um, some form of an arrangement between the two countries um, to bring about some sort of a you know uh, understanding i guess if you if you want to call it that um and well, why is elon musk doing this well um money is power um and he's the richest person in life so i guess that's probably his stance in um trying to broker the um broker a sort of resolution if you want um with this sort of matter a non-going matter aside from that um the queen features on a new coin um a commemorative 50p coin has been unveiled by the royal mint to mark the bbc's century the coin priced at 11 pounds pays tribute to the bbc's global reach and shows a broadcast mast emerging from the earth it also features an image of the queen rather than king charles whose effigy will now adorn all new coins The coins were produced before the Queen died in September and will not be restruck in order to minimize waste or unnecessary environmental impact. The Queen's depiction on the coins is expected to create a high demand among collectors. The reverse side of the coin is also inscribed with inform, educate, entertain. The values set out by Lord Wreath when he founded the BBC in 1922. So some news um but more or less i i and probably think that our listeners are aware of the political uncertainty and the global um situation that we are currently in and uh, updates are coming thick and fast right um 
Another story that um, sort of caught my eye this morning is appearing in The Guardian. So it's about uh, ministers hoping to ban solar projects from most English farms. So this is um, from The Guardian's environment uh, reporter, Helena Horton, uh, who says that ministers are planning to ban solar farms from most of England's farmland. Um, the new Environment Secretary, Ranil Jayawardena, is understood to oppose sol- solar panels being placed on agricultural land, arguing that it impedes his program of growth and boosting food production. To this end, say government officials, he has asked his officials to redefine best and most versatile land, which is earmarked for farming to include the middle to low category 3B. Land is graded from 1 to 5, and currently BMV grades include grades 1 to 3A. Planning guidance says that development on BMV land should be avoided. Um, BMV is uh, is the best and most versatile uh, the acronym for that. So BMV land should be avoided, although planning authorities may take other considerations into account. Currently, most solar farms are built on and planned for 3B land. So this move would uh, scupper most new development of the renewable energy source. Um, extending BMV to grade 3B would ban solar panels for about 41% of the land area of England or about 58% of agricultural land. Much of the grade 4 and 5 land is in upland areas that are unsuitable for solar development. During his speech at the Conservative Party conference last week, the Prime Minister Liz Truss reeled off a list of enemies, including Green campaigners, who make up what she characterised as the anti-growth coalition. However, Green campaigners say blocking the building of renewables would make a government part of such a group. So... Yeah, with that, we conclude the um, the segment on the headlines appearing this morning. Um, a very quick break, and when we come back, we will delve right into the first topic of the morning, which is about gaming addiction. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa Welcome back to the live edition of the Breakfast Show. So, myself Daniel Ahmad, and with me is the main presenter Daniel Zia Sahib and the co-host Shahzeb Atar Sahib. Welcome to the show. So, in this segment, we will be discussing about the gaming addiction. Is certainly a crucial topic um, to the society where the growing number of uh, people who does uh, gaming is increasing, is at rise. So, uh, in this segment, uh, we are going to discuss and uh, uh, we'll, we'll be talking and uh, with some experts 
Um, so, yeah, so just other story is uh, cybersecurity experts at VPNO, uh, VPN overview have identified the warning signs, consequences, and the best ways to deal with gaming addiction in children. In 2018, uh, the UK's video gaming industry exceeded for the first time the value of its music video industry combined. <clears throat> Online game for Fortnite, which now has over 200 million players globally, was cited in over 200 divorces in the UK in 2018. It should be noted that playing video or online games does not automatically mean that someone is addicted. The World, uh, the World Health Organization, WHO, however, included video game addiction on their list of recognized mental health conditions in 2019. The American Psychiatric Association acknowledges that games trigger certain neurological pathways that stimulate pleasure and reward. In the extreme, playing video games affect the brain in much the, in much the same way as alcohol, drugs, and gambling. Research from the VPN overview cites the following three symptoms for gaming addiction. Impaired control over gaming and inability to control the urge to play video games. Number two, increased priority is given to gaming to the extent that it takes uh, precedence over any other interest and daily activities. Continuation or escalation of gaming despite negative consequences to health, social relationships, academic performance or work. Gaming Addiction Report uh, says 2022 from Delamore suggests that from a 2021 review, 3-4% to 4 of gamers worldwide were addicted to video games, uh, which could be around uh, 60 million people or more. Martin Preston, founder and chief executive at uh, Delamore, explains how video games can cause dependency. One of the most addictive features of games is that many do not have predefined ends. This is the most common in MMORPG games. What this means is that the player does not get to the point where they have completed every challenge or task, which brings the game to a uh, natural end and allows them to move on. Instead, they are presented with continual challenges and tasks to overcome that keep them coming back again and again. High scores are another feature or within games that make them so addictive. Gamers will often try to beat their own high score or try to beat a competitor, which can keep them engrossed for hours. The competitive nature of these games make them extremely addictive for users. Another addictive element in the social aspect of NEDGE online games, while we were plunged deep into lockdown, Animal Crossing, New Horizons were released, a life, uh, a life simulation game that allowed people to complete everyday tasks such as shopping, gardening from their own homes. It even allowed people to connect socially by visiting each other's island Normality was something we were uncertain about and 
and uh, despite the fact the lockdown has been lifted many people many many people may feel more comfortable remaining in their gaming bubble so yeah right uh, thank you very much uh, for that um, introduction uh, imam shahzeb you, your quick thoughts on on gaming addiction are you um, have you personally played uh, a video have. video game i have but i wouldn't say um I play regularly or hmm. um, addicted in, in that sort of um, sense. But in terms of you know, the effect it's had during the lockdowns, I would presume that it was probably a an escape for many people, hmm. especially these um, these what was Daniel uh, you referring to those games? Um, anyhow, um, but yeah, I think it's certainly been you know an escape route for many people, um, and it's a shame that a lot of people you know are. Are the subconsciously or unconsciously um, addicted, um, but it's I guess it's just one of those things which you know it's a win-win for the the maker or the the production, uh, the company that produces these games. Um, albeit they probably don't have the intention of you know uh, making people addicted to their games, um, but I guess it's um, I think dare I say expected or part and parcel with such high caliber and high quality um, games hmm. sure absolutely so what are the different types of uh, of gaming addictions there are two major types of video games uh, and therefore two major types of video game addictors or addictions standard video games are designed to be played by a single player and involve a clear goal or mission such as rescuing a princess for example the addiction in these games is often related to completing the mission or beating a high score uh, or a preset standard The other type of video game addiction is associated with online multiplayer games. These games are played online with other people and are especially addictive because they generally have no ending. Gamers with this type of addiction enjoy creating and temporarily becoming an online character. They often build relationships with their online players as an escape from reality. For some, this community may be the the place where they feel they are the most accepted. So what are the consequences then of uh, of gaming addiction well gaming addiction can destroy treasured relationships jobs and academic prospects and finances it can have serious long term health implica- implications it also it can also cause great psychological damage and lead to profound loneliness depression and a collapse in your self worth and any optimism for the future gaming also has been associated with sleep deprivation insomnia um cardiac rhythmic uh, disorder depression aggression and anxiety though some uh, studies um uh, more studies are needed to establish the validity and strength of some of these connections they've also been concerned that exposure to the extreme viol- violence that is commonly found in video games can desensitize teens and young adults to such violence causing emotional problems and even leading to young people committing to acts of violence some of the physical signs or symptoms of video games addiction for include um, fatigue migraines due to intense concentration or eye strain um carpal tunnel dis- syndrome caused by the overuse of a controller or computer mouse pure, poor personal hygiene as well as some of the emotional signs or symptoms of video games addiction are feeling of uh, feelings of restlessness uh, or irritability preoccupation with thoughts of previous online activity or anticipation of the next online session 
lying to fa- family or friends um, regarding the amount of spent amount amount of time spent playing and isolation from others in order to spend more time gaming. Let's now speak to an expert um, on this. Um, so we are now joined by Professor Mark um, Griffiths, who is a professor of behavioral addiction at Nottingham Trent University. Assalamualaikum, peace with you. A very warm welcome to the breakfast show. Good morning. Morning, uh, Mr. Griffiths. Uh, so please tell us um, uh, about uh, how dangerous do you think is um, is gaming addiction potentially? Okay, well, I think the good news, particularly for parents out there who worry that their kids are playing uh, video games too much, is that the number of people who would be genuinely diagnosed with gaming disorder is a, you know, a very small percentage. Uh, that doesn't mean that, that gaming doesn't have other impacts on uh, adolescents' lives. So, um, you know, I, I think that the most obvious example is when kids are spending too much time playing video games rather than doing their homework or doing educational activities. But that in and of itself is not gaming disorder because gaming disorder is when gaming completely takes over somebody's lives uh, and they do gaming to the neglect of everything else in your life and obviously you are listing out you know some of the symptoms of of gaming disorder to your listeners there and things like you know if you're playing video games till two or three o'clock in the morning and then having to get up for school or getting Mm -hmm. having to get up for university or college that is going to make you very tired but that as i say in and of itself is not gaming disorder and you know, gaming disorder is on a gaming is on a spectrum from obviously n- from non-playing through to occasional playing through to very regular playing through to excessive playing, then right through to a pathology where it it reaches addictive levels. So those people who are addicted to gaming are actually few and far between. Uh, but as I say, for for parents, for you know, when parents see their kids go off to university. You know, I've got I've got three screen ages who've all now gone to university, particularly for my male um, um, sons, because we know that gaming disorder does seem to predominantly affect males more than more than females. I was worried when you know when my youngest son, particularly, was an avid gamer, uh, obviously not addicted to gaming, but he was an avid gamer. I was always worried that it was going to affect his studies. Um, and that's why I think what most parents worry about when they think about addictions to things like social media and gaming is that kids are spending so much time now in front of screen-based technologies. And for males, it, it does tend to be gaming. For females, it's more likely to be things like social media. But gaming, you know, the, the way that, you know, obviously I'm not anti-gaming in the slightest. You know, I was a gamer myself when I was a kid. Uh, and, you know, there are lots of positive benefits from, from gaming as well. But it's obviously when gaming takes over your life to the extent that it compromises your relationships, that it compromises your education or occupation, depending on what age you are. Gaming is something that um, we, we should be concerned about, but not overly concerned in terms of um, being something that would turn kids or adolescents or even adults. And we do know that gaming disorder does affect adults as well. Um, it is something we should should think about. But as I say, the good news is the number of people who would be diagnosed with, with gaming disorder is actually few and far between. Right. Um, you're part of the International Gaming Research Unit at uh, the Nottingham Trent University. Tell us a little more about that. Okay, so, I mean, I've been working in the area of behavioral addiction for 35 years, and back in the early 2000s, 
uh, I set up the International Gaming Research Unit. At that time, we were particularly interested in gambling addictions and gaming addictions, but now you know, we, we've branched out into looking at all addictions that don't involve drugs. So anything where people can become addicted that doesn't involve the ingestion of a psychoactive substance, so gaming, social media, gambling, exercise, sex, work, you know, we, we publish and do research on all of these different areas, but gambling and gaming are the two main areas that we tend to, to concentrate on, probably because out of all the behavioural addictions, it's those two that tend to, if you like, cause the most destructive effects, particularly amongst adolescents and emerging adults. We do know that, that as I say, gaming disorder um, is, you know, it's particularly between the ages of kind of 16 to 25, you'll find higher rates of gaming disorder amongst that, that particular age group and particularly amongst males as well. But our gaming unit, um, as I say, it's a specialised gaming unit. You know, Nottingham Trent is one of the, if you like, one of the hubs across the world where lots of high-quality research on gambling and gaming tends to be done. Uh, and that's why we, we set it up. And that's why I say I've, I've been personally researching in the area I mean, I started researching on video game addiction back in the late 1980s. I started off in ga gambling addiction in 1987, but by 1989, 1990, I started then working on video game addiction. And obviously now we've got a hub of researchers at Nottingham Trent who specialise in gambling and gaming addictions, and that's why we, we, set, up the set, we set up our research unit. Um, Professor Mark, you, you know you touched upon the impacts of um, gaming addiction, but there's also evidence which suggests the potential education benefits of video oh, games could you also yeah, yeah. tell us about those yeah i mean there's actually there's lots of positive can i just say if you ask me a question you know are video games you know better for you or worse for you i think most of the evidence suggests is particularly for moderate playing is that gaming has a very positive effect so we know that gaming can, can have educational benefits for people who play it can have cognitive benefits for p people who play it there's benefits like hand-eye coordination and, and speed reactions so using games as simulations for, for various different activities there are also lots of therapeutic benefits so for instance we know that if for instance children who are undergoing chemotherapy in hospital if you give them video games to play after, after they've had their chemotherapy then they need significantly less painkillers than those children who for instance don't play games are, are, are reading or doing other types of activity but when it comes to, to education it obviously all depends on the game there are many different genres of game and most games in and of themselves will not be particularly educational but obviously there are lots of games out there that are deliberately designed to, to have educational capacities and even games so I mean things like the, the Sims and SimCity you know those types of games have been introduced into various curricula across the world. So if you're playing a game like SimCity and, you know, you're building a city, um, things like, you know, the effect of um, introducing various taxes or uh, economic policies within that will actually teach you about, um, you know, broader educational things. And that's why some school curricula have, you know, kind of games on their curricula because there are educational benefits. But I don't want to give you the impression that, you know, playing Call of Duty League of Legends is educational because a lot of games have no educational uh, components whatsoever. But it's quite clear there are lots of what we call serious games that are not, not necessarily games that you buy in the shops, but are games that are designed uh, particularly for um, education and to be used in schools and colleges. They, they can have good benefits. But as I say, it's not just about the educational benefits. So say there are cognitive benefits, therapeutic and medical, medical benefits. And so, you know, for most people, gaming is, I mean, for me, myself, 
uh, unfortunately I, I had major spinal surgery last year and I, I'm in a lot of pain uh, a lot of the time and rather than take painkillers I would rather play a game because the thing about playing a video game is that you are 100% cognitively engaged when you play a game and if you're cognitively engaged to such an extent when you're, you're gaming it means you don't feel the effects of things like pain and they say that's been applied to therapeutic contexts. Uh, in terms of your uh, research, then is is there any uh, in, in, any sort of evidence, or um, um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is what what is what is a good amount of time that you can spend on gaming, and 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 beyond that, it becomes uh, then uh, you know you're you, you're on a slippery slope. Okay, well the, the thing here is that the amount of hours that you spend gaming is a bit of a red herring because it's not to do with the amount of time that you spend; it's to do with whether the amount of time that you spend has negative detrimental effects on your life. So for you know, someone like me, who's in a full-time job, if I was playing even four hours a day, that mm. would probably be negatively impacting on my life. But I mean, if, let's take an example. And I, you know, if you're a 21-year-old person who's just left university, for instance, and you've got no job, no per- partner, and no dependents, if you are playing you know, seven or eight hours a day, it's probably having little or no negative detrimental effect on your life. So in that particular circumstance, the fact that you're playing a lot of hours every single day is not necessarily indicative of a a gaming problem whatsoever. But as I say, if you're a full, you know, if you're in a a, a situation where, you you know, you spend a lot of time at college, you've got lots of homework, and you're spending four or five hours a day playing computer games, as I say, that might be having a negative detrimental effect. Now, I get letters every, oh, sorry, not letters, but certainly emails every week from parents. Used, you know, their, their typical email to me is, uh, Dear Dr. Griffiths, uh, I'm really worried about my son or my daughter. They're spending too much time either playing games, which is usually the case with boys, or spending too much time on social media, which is often the case with girls. Um, I think my son or daughter is addicted to the, these screen-based technologies. And when I write back and say, why do you think that? is the typical response from parents is because they're spending three or four hours a day, you know, engaged in front of, you know, uh, on gaming, on, on games like League of Legends or Fortnite or whatever the game is. And I have to write back and say, well, we psychologists have got a name for that. It's called normal, because that is what most screenagers do today, is they spend a lot of time in front of screen-based technologies. Uh, and, you know, for, when I say to parents... You know, is, is your child's gaming, does it impact with their education? Does it impact with the chores you're expecting your children to do around the house? Is it impacting on their social relationships? Is it impacting on their education and, and everything they're doing? Now, most parents will say that it's not impacting on those other activities. What they're worried about is just the simple amount of time that those children spend engaging on things like gaming. Now, when I think, what did I do when I was my kid's age? Well, I used to spend a lot of time with my parents watching television. You know, typically when I got home from school, after I'd done my homework, I would watch television for three or four hours. I look at my own children, you know, they hardly ever watch television. You know, they would rather spend their time on social media or gaming, as I say, in front of screen-based technologies. But for me as a parent and as a responsible parent, I just want to make sure that my kids aren't over, you know, well, basically that I don't want them to be spending time on the screen if they should be doing something else. Once, you know, when my kids were growing up, once they'd done the homework and once they'd done the things that I wanted them to do in the house, what they did with their available free leisure time was up to them. So, you know, so for me, your question about how many hours is it, you know, is it, 
you know, is it okay to spend on a game? As I say, it's not to do with the amount of hours. It's to do with the content and context of that, that game. So, I mean, if you've got young children, and by young I mean, you know, below the age of 13, for instance, I would be advising don't let them have a gaming console in their bedroom. Mm. You know, have the gaming console downstairs where you can see them play. And as I say, there is nothing inherently wrong with gaming, and there is lots of benefits. And most children love playing video games because it's a highly fun and entertaining activity, and they get a lot from playing those games. And I would never want to say to a parent, don't let your children play games. But as a responsible parent, you want to make sure that your children have a, if you like, a balanced diet in terms of education, physical activity. You know, I probably not mention physical activity because physical activity is obviously very, very important. And one of the things we know about video gaming is if you spend a lot of time playing video games, you're engaged in sedentary activity where you're not, you know, you're not moving your body enough. You're not getting enough exercise. So, you know, as a parent, you should be trying to get your kids not just about, it's not just about education, it's about physical education as well. But of course, there are lots of games now designed where physical activity is designed into the game it's what we call exit you know exa gaming so people who play you know t- uh, n- uh, on on we you know we games and they're playing tennis where the, you know dance games for instance there are a lot of video games out there that actually get you out of not doing those sedentary activities so we shouldn't tarnish gaming with saying that all games are you know sedentary behavior because of course now there are lots of games which actually get kids and adults to engage in physical activity as well so i just think you have to look at this in perspective and say to yourself mm-hmm. you know it's not about the number of hours that you play it's about whether those hours are taking away from things that you believe you, you your kids should be doing sure it's about creating a balance right excellent uh, professor mark griffiths thank you so very much for joining us uh, really appreciate uh, your input yeah, today good, good morning thank you very much morning to you as well and peace be with you so that was uh, professor mark griffiths uh, who is a professor of behavioral addiction at nottingham Trent University. Right, um, we're coming up uh, to the 8 o'clock news um, and uh, when we come back after the news we shall continue this discussion on gaming, on um, uh, um, on gaming addiction in particular, what are the um, uh, what are the effects of gaming addiction, so please do stay tuned.
Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Series of Voice of Islam. This morning we're talking about gaming addiction um, and the consequences of uh, of gaming addiction as well as um, uh, you know trying to create a balance between uh, between gaming and uh, and the other important things including exercise and uh, physical activity as well as social uh, interactions um, as well. Um, we shall now play a, a short clip uh, from um, a discussion which was carried out about um, contemporary social issues affecting today's youth, including the um, uh, the harms of addiction. Uh, this was the presentation of uh, Muslim Television Ahmadiyya Studios in Canada. Let's take a listen. There's a quote by Aristotle which says that we are what we repeatedly do. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you you know you smoke marijuana regularly, you become whatever the symptoms they become. You know, almost normal to you in one sense. Yeah. Right. So going back to what you said about um, you know it kills ambition. Ambition. I think in that context, it might like if we're talking about marijuana, we're talking about yeah. alcohol because it takes over your life in such yeah. a big way. But for example, I have clients that you know they are they start with me, they start training with me, and then they become highly addicted to the training. They have to train yeah. every single mm-hmm. day. I told them to take a rest. They're like, no, we want to come in and train. And that's another type of addiction, which is a, like highly motivated. You know, it's, it's very like, you know, disciplined. But I told them not to because then they're going to get injured. Right. So again, right. it's excessiveness in any area. Right. Exactly. And back to what you were just mm-hmm. saying as well, that that ends up taking over your life. It's taking taking over everything that you're doing. I think, I think anything that's taken to the extreme, right? Like, for example, like we're talking about addiction. People can be addicted to a million different things. Yes, you know, shopping. Exactly. You know, they're a shopper right. No balance. Of right, it. but exactly. taking anything to the extreme, like, for example, even the Holy Quran says, Kulu wa-shrabu that eat and drink, but do not exceed the bounds. Yeah, and what happens because if you exceed the bounds? You gain, <laughs> gain weight, right? You gain yeah. weight, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, uh, I actually just want to bring you back to a question that you asked earlier, right? What are some of the negative impacts yeah. of addiction, mm-hmm. right? And so with regards to addiction, you're looking at, you know, just emotional, uh, there's a ton of emotional impact, right? Yeah. You're looking at, uh, loss in ment- uh, mental ability, loss in concentration, loss in self-esteem, yeah. right? Uh, there's damages to your relationships, which mm-hmm. are so permanent, right? Because as a shopaholic, now you're constantly digging yourself into this deeper and deeper hole where you're reliant on money. But now, you know, that's that's a pitfall for your parents or for your spouse. Of course. Yeah. And you know what's problematic as well is that when you're a single bachelor, for example, living by yourself, that's one thing. But at the same time, let's just say you have family members who are dependent on you. You have a wife, you have kids, yeah. and you react in a certain way which makes you feel isolated or you makes you feel, you know, you start having withdrawal symptoms. You not only affect yourself, but you affect the whole family as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now they have to they have their own issues to deal with your addiction as well. Um, so it becomes a family problem. Yeah. Right? So you and, hurt more people. Like and that. then that that affects your relationship. Like if I'm an if I'm if I'm a cocaine addict, right? I all I think about is getting my some high hands on some money, getting some cocaine, and I'm going to be high almost all day, and I'm not even going to be able to move. I'm just going to be paralyzed in that corner, and I'm just going to be you know in like a like state of like numbness, and that's going to have an effect on my relationship. I'm not going to be able to you know provide for my family. I'm not going to have to have a sustainable job. I'm going to be edgy all the time. So I'm going to yeah, you know, like drive people social, away from me. Yeah, right? you know the social impact yeah. of addiction and drugs and alcoholism. It's so deep, you know, people don't realize how deep of an impact it has mm-hmm. on family life as well. A lot of people are um, afraid to report or like afraid to get help even. Because there's a stigma behind it, right? Because, right. There's, because yeah. there's a stigma of being, you know, an alcoholic or, you know, um, addiction to gambling as well. Mm. You know, so there's a lot of a stigma behind you, getting help as well. You know, gambling is a great example for that. Like, for example, once you're addicted to gambling, yeah. 
I, I know of you know stories of people they have lost their their marriages, they've lost their houses, their mortgages, everything has everything gone into trying to you know let me go back and try to make that money back. Yeah. Let me go right. back and try to make yeah. the money back, but they just keep going. They drive themselves in the bigger and bigger and bigger and pit, right? right. You know, it's interesting. Historically speaking, people used to gamble away their family members as well. You know, after they used no to way. lose all of their money, <laughs> they used to gamble away their, you know, their spouses, you know, their wives. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. This is how deep, because it's a downward spiral, right? But what is like the root cause of? Why do we biologically get addicted to things? Do you know anything about that? Yeah, you're the scientific right. person. <laughs> right, so, you know, uh, like you mentioned, there's a multifaceted, uh, you know, problem. So the first, pro- the first facet would be psychological, but the second facet, which is biological, uh, it has a lot to do with our neural pathways, right? So mm-hmm. there was a quotation you mentioned by Aristotle, you are what you repeatedly do. Exactly. Right, exactly. and that is a perfect way of understanding how our neural pathways are formed. So, you know, when you do drugs for the first time, you know, you use a substance, it forms a neural pathway, right? Your brain is paving a new uh, sidewalk, so to speak. And so over time, the more you use it, the more this neural pathway solidifies, the more your brain becomes reliant on it. And mm. so as you so it's age... It's like a map. You can, it's like you've exactly. already made the map. Now it's hard to yeah. erase the map. Right? Exactly, right? And so as neuroplasticity decreases, you're kind of stuck with this uh, same route that you have to take every single day, right? Like that map. And so that is one of the. So I guess you can't really blame agencies. these these guys that are on Absolutely that are addicted to something because now it's they can't help it. The, the wiring has already been built. You have to now rewire them or unwire that them. That it becomes second nature. I think this doesn't necessarily always have to do with substance abuse, right? I mean, like for example, when we're driving home, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we zone exactly. out, and yeah, then, and, you, exactly. and then we just end up at home. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and we at have no idea how we got there. You ended up yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. that's that's sort of the same yeah. same thing going on, right? Absolutely. And I think that this kind of ties into the, the 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 elephant in the room in one sense, which is that okay, so how do we address this now? What are some things, or what are the beneficial habits that we can, you know, to address some of these things now? Because obviously addiction is rampant, right? So what what do you what do what's you guys the, come to What's the what's the alternative? That, you know, like, for example, coming back to the point that you made earlier that, you know, people have this void or they're trying to mm-hmm. get away from the stress of life. So that's why they indulge. So I guess you're asking right? me the same question. So I think, I think, I think, <laughs> no, I'm just like arguing for sake of like, what would be yeah. the alternative? It makes sense. Right? It I makes mean, sense, right? Like Even if, from like a religious if, aspect. You if I don't know, if I don't know of God, if I'm not, you know, a religious person, if I have some sort of problems in my life, what am I going to turn to? My friends, I'm going to talk to them. They can't help me out. I just I have like a big trial that comes into my life and I turn to drugs, you know, to right. get my mind off of it. Yeah. Now that's my getaway, right? Mm-hmm. But that's only temporary, right? So that's naturally when when your thoughts come back, you want a permanent solution. And what's yeah. a permanent solution? God. Right. Yeah. Permanent so, solution is faith. Yeah, yeah, faith. Faith in God, right? And Absolutely. that's what you can depend on. You can depend on God, you can pray, you know, you can rely on him and not rely on these, you know, things that take your power away from you. Your addiction exactly. you know, takes and your I just power away from you. To add on to that as well, I think another aspect as well, you know, when, when, you, when you talk about this too, is a couple of things come to mind. Number one is the person needs to admit that they're addicted. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we are yeah. in denial in one sense that, you know, we're not an addict. It's okay. Uh, it's temporary. Yeah. So number one is to actually admit and say, you know what, I need help. You can only search for God when you admit that God, I need help. Right. So that was the uh, discussion on addiction. Um, uh, let's uh, have a listen to another um, uh, similar program, and this one talks uh, more specifically about gaming addiction. Uh, let's take a listen. But mental, but mental health specifically is defined as a state of well-being in, a way in which a person is able to realize and understand what their potential is, has the ability to cope with the normal stresses of life, um, is able to work productively and fruitfully if they so desire, and if they so desire, has the ability to contribute 
to their social circles and their communities. Now, this is just a a, a loose um, definition which has been provided by the World Health Organization. However, at the same time, now that we understand loosely what it means to be, what mental health is, and we have a notion of what physical health is, at the same time, we need to understand what spiritual health is. Because it is, with, it is the conglomeration of these three things which actually defines someone's health. And they all have an effect on each other. So we need to understand what, what it means to be spiritually healthy. Uh, so this has been discussed by Hazrat Masimah of the Layasatussalam and all the Khulafa. And a person actually asked Hazrat Khifat al-Masih Ta'ala in regards to what it means to have inner peace and to be spiritually content. And Hazrat Khifat al-Masih Ta'ala, he explained it by saying, uh, by taking it back to this concept of being God-like. So there is a verse in the Holy Quran in which it talks about the colors of Allah Ta'ala. And what this means is that as human beings, we need to mimic and inculcate the attributes and the characteristics of Allah Ta'ala within ourselves. We have to be like God to a certain extent though. That's what we have to remember because us as human beings, we can't be a God. So we have to be, we have to be God-like to, um, uh, to a certain extent or to whatever extent that we can be as human beings. And whenever there is an incongruity or um, uh, a type of contradiction with, it, with our personality and the personality of God, then we see that some, in that situation, a person is not spiritually healthy and they don't have inner peace. Right. So if somebody is able to actually go along this path and attain inner peace, that is one part of the equation to becoming mentally healthy and physically healthy as well. Did you know that there are more than 2.7 billion gamers from across the world? That's a staggering 200 million increase from 2019. According to Verizon, there's been a 75% increase in video game usage in the US during this pandemic. Popular game makers of Call of Duty and FIFA have also said that play numbers have soared during this time. A lot of people are gaming, but the question is, how much is too much? According to various studies, excessive gaming can lead to poor social skills, lack of sleep, aggressive thoughts and behaviors, and depression. In 2018, the World Health Organization classified gaming addiction as a modern disease. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, head of the worldwide Ahmadi Muslim community, once highlighted that kids should stay away from games such as Fortnite because some of them have ended up using their parents' credit cards to purchase additions within the game. His Holiness has also stated that children should be allowed a maximum of one hour screen time per day because excessive screen time is said to have negative effects on the child's development and upbringing. Watch our detailed video on our YouTube channel to find out more about gaming addiction. Right, so uh, um, those were a few clips um, uh, from programs uh, that were aired earlier. Uh, uh, some of them about mental health, some of them about uh, gaming addiction, some of them about um, uh, about addiction in uh, in general. Um, Imam Shahzeb, what is the um, Islamic uh, perspective around um, around games in general, around around social life, around um, I think what Professor Griffiths was talking about earlier around keeping a balance as well. Mm. I think that's the key. Um, naturally, you know, in the area or the inception of Islam, the, it was the concept of online gaming, as we can all understand. But Islam has always given us an answer to the overall picture. And the overall picture here is addiction. And, you know, Islam has addressed the issue of addiction very profusely. Uh, Islam has stated, as we mentioned various, on various occasions here at the Verse of Islam, that Islam has always given the option and rather instructed Muslims to adhere to the middle path 
um, and to always make sure that there's either there's no excess or there isn't a lack in a certain uh, aspects in whatever we do. So the middle path is always the preferred option of the Muslims, um, as it's the best path. And in terms of um, currently addressing the issue of um, you know this addiction, the, the time wasting really is what it is. Um, His Holiness, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, addressed the issue. And he stated, and I quote, Now even scientists and doctors say that these things affect children's eyesight and their thinking, which is why within a span of 24 hours, children should not be allowed to use the internet, play video games and watch TV for more than one hour. But these days, since schools are closed and studies have come to a halt due to the coronavirus pandemic, children are mostly studying online. In any case, there are such games which waste not only time but money as well. They purchase the game and then just as a person becomes addicted to certain things, so too do children become addicted to playing games and cannot go without it. While playing these games, indecent and lewd advertisements also appear. When these advertisements appear as they are playing, then the children's minds are becoming poisoned from a very young age. Then, when they grow older, they go down the wrong path. Therefore, parents should firstly be aware of the games that their children are playing, or the programs they are watching on the internet, or the TV, and should supervise. They should also supervise to ensure that they do not watch anything outside of the allotted time. It should be explained to them that their vision will weaken and their minds will be impacted, and so it is better for them to read books instead which are better for the brain's development. Aside from this, arrange different activities for them, speak to them, sit with them, hold discussions with them, and if they still insist, then try to show them such programs online or on the television, which will help them to improve them academically and spiritually, and will also enable them to develop a higher level of wisdom. Thus, you have to do all these things. However, it is extremely important that parents keep a close eye on what their children are watching. If the parents themselves are not well educated and the children who are still studying are spending their time playing games and the parents do not show any concern or simply are too focused on their own issues, then they will ruin their children. Therefore, one has to exercise great caution in this regard and for this one has to strive and put in a great deal of effort. Nonetheless, one has to keep watch over them and at times even be a little strict not by physically punishing them, rather by explaining to them in a loving manner and explaining to them that they can only watch certain types of programs for an allotted duration. So, you know, we're very blessed that we are given um, guidance related to the current climate and, you know, His Holiness quite explicitly, um, you know, explaining to us the 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 path that you know the parents should choose for their children in ensuring that there's you know, discipline there's an allotted time there's no excess and um you know that these games just look like the way the professor griffiths was talking earlier on you know should be played within um you know the main sitting area rather than in rooms where they are uh, abstract from their parents view so it's very important that these points for at least the, from the Islamic point of view are thought and kept in mind.
And aside from this, I also think it's worth mentioning that um, His Holiness on various occasions has mentioned and even talked about the games in particular like Fortnite and the risks that are associated with, with such games. Um, and he's repeatedly done so on various occasions. Um, and therefore, he, he strives not only for the well-being of you know the community, but equally for the um, humanity at large. I think there's no hidden element here or surprise that you know games like Fortnite or Call of Duty or what have you do have a profound effect on you know, children's um, level of addiction. And you know, being uh, the voice of Islam, we naturally have to provide an Islamic angle. Um, the Islamic angle, which we touched upon, you know ensures that all of us, you know, offer our rights to Allah. And if we are engaged, you know, regardless of what age we are, but particularly the age of youth or, or childhood, um, you know, it's really important that we maintain that balance, you know, whereby we also, um, you know, helping around the house, doing our chores and what have you, being socially accessible um, and engaging in social activities and also physical activities, which is a huge part of being a Muslim. Uh, being physically fit so all of these things we have to sort of keep in mind and um, make sure that you know we're not addicted to these online games um, which will most certainly have an effect on our health on our uh, on our mental health and indeed on our character in general um, because we hear so many stories where you know the unfortunate circumstances of children whereby you know being addicted to these games has a huge effect on their future um, when they're going to further education which you know nobody wants as you know we all say you know they will be the new or the, the generation to you know to leave the countries wherever they may reside so that would be I think the angle which Islam presents excellent thank you very very much for that uh, Imam Shah um, and that uh, concludes the segment on gaming uh, we shall now take a quick break, and when we come back, we will uh, talk about the second segment, which is about insomnia. of Islam Radio. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. What is the difference between Ahmadi Muslims and non-Ahmadi Muslims? 
This needs a very lengthy answer. But briefly, the main difference is in the belief concerning the advent of the Imam Mahdi, the Prince Messiah, and the reformer of the latter days. Non-Ahmadi Muslims expect that he will be sent by God in fulfilment of the prophecies of the Holy Prophet and are waiting for his advent. On the other hand, Ahmadi Muslims believe that his advent has already taken place and that the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian who also claimed that his advent fulfilled the prophecies that were mentioned in the scriptures of different religions about the coming of a reformer in the latter days. The followers of these religions, including non-Ahmadi Muslims, are still waiting for his advent. As for Ahmadi Muslims, as a result of believing that his advent has already taken place, they enjoy many blessings that other Muslims are deprived of. For example, Ahmadi Muslims enjoy the institution of Khilafat, which means that they are all united under one leadership and are escorted by a guided spiritual leader, while other Muslims remain divided and they disagree amongst themselves concerning many issues. Also, Ahmadi Muslims follow the true teaching of Islam as a result of following the teachings of the reformer of the age. The very important difference between the two is that Ahmadi Muslims believe in a living God whose attributes remain the same at all times, while other Muslims believe that some of his attributes have become idle. For example, his speech with his sincere servants. They think that he used to speak in the past, but for some reason, at the present time, he has stopped communicating with his servants through revelations. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. So in the first segment we were discussing about um, gaming addiction. And in the second segment now we will discuss about insomnia exacerbated by cost of living crisis. So um, the gist of the story is um, research suggests that Google searches for insomnia help has increased significantly since the beginning of the cost of living crisis. West Wales Chronicle dated 7th of September writes about this issue that on 6th of uh, September Google is reported to have hit the search bar insomnia help exploded 792%. A new finding by bedroom experts Bed Kingdom reveals that online interest in insomnia help exploded to over 7 times the average volume, an unprecedented spike in people searching for advice about sleeping since the cost of living crisis began. According to uh, Google search analysis, the, the rise in this research is associated with rise is in energy prices, causing cuts in day-to-day -day lives of ordinary Britons, leading to anxiety, stress and lack of sleep. Metro News dated 22nd of August also commented on this topic that over 50s um, are losing sleep over cost of living crisis. So according to School of Public Health, um, uh, University of uh, Michigan, sleep is important because uh, sleep is and sleep is an altered state of consciousness uh, where we have limited interactions with our surroundings and are relatively quiet and still depending on the stage of sleep contrary to our quiet physical state the brain is very active during sleep carrying out main important functions 
Um, sleep is an essential to every process in the body, affecting our physical and mental functioning the next day, our ability to fight disease and develop immunity, and our metabolism and chronic disease risk. Sleep is truly inter interdisciplinary because it touches every aspect of health. Chronic exposure to poor sleep quality is associated with depression, anxiety, and other conditions. There are uh, there are also bidirectional associations, meaning that um, experiencing anxiety and depression very often affects sleep, which then impacts our ability to cope with the anxiety and depression and so on. Very interesting, I must say. Uh, mm. The old angle here, whereby the cost of living all of a sudden 792% did you say that it's unbelievable um, and it shows the profound impact that the cost of living crisis is having upon the, the public um, which will um, you know hit home now I think for the Conservative Party because you know I was reading earlier on um, they recently had a, a, a conference uh, the Conservative Party I think in, in Birmingham I think it's their headquarters and there's been talks by various members, senior members, that Liz Truss, current Prime Minister, only has a couple of days uh, to sort of convince, you know, that her plan moving forward is a robust one. And, you know, now other ministers are being rallied to show support for her, although, you know, the grip um, she has is somewhat loosening. Um, so it's I think these things especially those figures which I, I presume they probably read um, the hierarchy uh, within the, the within the party um, will certainly force them to bring about maybe even you know greater U-turns on their policies because it was the policies the, um, the mini budget which really I think flipped the whole thing on its head um, which is why you know the pound crashed and, and what have you. So, I think as we come to the end of the year, um, you know, it will certainly be a test for the, the current uh, ad, ad admin to see you know where the country goes and um, what effect it will have on the people because these numbers and these figures they're unbelievable. Um, you know, which we've just touched upon. 792 percent um ex you know the the increase in people searching insomnia help and f the over 50s are losing sleep because of the cost of living so you know we hope and pray that things do improve but uh, for the current situation you know i think it does seem a bit um un sort of um realistic that you know things will actually improve right um let me now play uh, a short clip from the fourth head of the um, uh, MDM Muslim uh, community, uh, and and this one is uh, is where he um, uh, he talks about um, uh, can sleep be compared um, uh, to death um, or not? Uh, let's uh, take a listen. Sleep has a similarity to death. When your consciousness sinks into unconsciousness and the death is the name of ultimate unconsciousness from which you can re not return. 
So scientifically it has been examined how the sleep processes take place in humans. The conscious level of consciousness begins to sink and at a certain point whatever happens during that period is completely unknown to man because the human consciousness that is soul has gone down beneath a certain level of human awareness has gone down to that level where from where we cannot retrieve anything of the experience of that consciousness. The psychologist wave it off by calling it subconsciousness. But what is subconsciousness? It is in fact the sinking of the soul to low levels of mind. At, each, at every such lower level, the soul searches around that part of the mind and knows what it is. And it goes on traveling downwards and downwards until, if not retrieved and kicked back to its original con level of consciousness, it would sink into nothingness, that is death. So this process of saving the soul from return to God ultimately from where it will not be retrievable by the living person. Allah has created a, a scientific methodology which takes sure, makes it sure that the soul does return to its conscious level of life. So exactly at the same intervals, the soul, while it is sinking down and down and down, is somehow kicked back to its upper conscious level. When it reaches that, whatever dreams it sees, they are remembered. Because the dreams which it sees in during the subconscious level cannot be remembered by it at the level of the consciousness. They remain sunk in the low levels. The only dreams which the soul remembers is, remembers to recount while it returns to the awakening periods, are those dreams which are seen at the level of this return to the, just the level of consciousness. This is called by scientists as rapid eye movement phase. at exactly the right moment, at exactly in this, uh, the major time, the soul returns to the consciousness and the scientists register it as a period of rapid eye movement. Because eyes start moving right and left at that time and they can be seen moving or oscillating from uh, from behind the eyelids, because eyelids show their passing from one to motion to the other. If you awaken any person at that stage, 
he will most certainly remember the dreams it was saying. If you do not awaken him at that moment, then the soul may return to the lower levels once again. And during that process, it may forget what it had seen during the period of rapid eye movements. You understand the point? So it's a very complicated affair, but one thing is certain, it is scientific. It is well organized. And sleep is another name for death. It is only Allah who saves us from ultimate death by creating this process of returning of the soul whenever it reaches the last dangerous level of Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back to the Voice of Islam here. Um, so we are discussing insomnia and the um, effect that it's currently having on people because of the um, the cost of living crisis, um, which I'm sure is um, sort of affecting everyone, uh, unfortunately. But the situation is such, and um, it's a worldwide um, effect. Um, And there's various reports, various business owners and individuals who simply are worried um, to the extent to which you know they are losing their sleep because of the way that the economy is. Um, You know, Martin Lewis, who's you know money experts um, stated that somebody on a typical state pension so over 60 years old gets around nine and a half grand a year and 3,245 pounds is a third of that will, which will go into um, energy bills so you know the situation is stark to say the least and you know, there's so many numbers and figures and percentages that we could go over which show us the um, detrimental effect that this will happen or rather um, occur on everybody's pockets but I will take an Islamic approach to all of this um, because the overall understanding is that the establishment um, which provides welfare and relief uh, from an Islamic point of view is such that the element of poverty or austerity is to a great degree eradicated and this then provides um, some form of an equal playing field for 
you know, members of society so that they can also you know achieve great amount of success and um, um, you know financial freedom should we call it but in terms of the the, um, the, the effect the, the medical effect that you know um, not being in a financial um, positive situation is unprecedented um, or rather will be unprecedented if the situation continues the way it has been um, and there's you know various um, sayings from, from within Islamic literature which provide us succor and relief when we understand our greater purpose here on earth there's a saying of the Holy Prophet of Islam the peace blessings of Allah be upon him in which it's narrated that his wife Aisha states when the messenger of Allah and would lie down every night on his bed. He would raise his hands in supplication position and pray. And he would recite a chapter within the Holy Quran, Surah Al-Ikhlas, three times. And another chapter of the Holy Quran named Surah Al-Falak. And then he would recite Surah Al-Nas, which is the last chapter of the Holy Quran. And once reciting all of these, he would then blow on his palms and then wiping his palms over his blessed body where they could reach. And this was done three times, um, and this action, uh, or, or rather this um, this hope, um, this supplication to Allah the Almighty, was a form of um, being uh, in a position that whereby all sorts of um, evil um, sort of a- in- in- inclinations, should we say, would completely stay away. Um, and this is what we currently, you know, Muslims are also instructed to perform such a tradition, now, such a supplication before they go to sleep. And in moving on, it's also inadvisable to go to sleep soon after the evening meal. Um, you know, and it's was well, the practice of the early prophet also, whereby he used to, um, you know, before going to bed, um, you know, there would be a, a, a gap between him going to bed and having an evening meal which would enable him to sleep um, or rather enable um, various other people that also live at the current age to sleep in a sort of better and more sort of healthier position and there's a, there's a narration uh, which states that the messenger of Allah peace be upon him found me sleeping in the in the mosque on my stomach and he nudged me with his foot and said why are you sleeping like this this is a kind of sleep that Allah dislikes or that Allah hates so what we understand is that um, sleep is a fundamental part of um, living a healthier life living a life which will enable um, one to uh, you know, wake up in the morning for uh, his whole activities and indeed to offer prayers too and the Prophet, may the peace of blessing of Allah be upon him, dislikes sleeping before the Isha prayer, which is the evening prayer, and to talk after the Isha prayer. And you know, there's various um, st- narrations of the, um, the Holy Prophet, whereby he advised the companions. Um, he complained of lack of sleep, and the Holy Prophet taught them a prayer in which it stated O Allah, a Lord of the seven heavens and everything that is below creator of the seven earths and everything that is flourishing on them Lord of the Satans and of the beings misguided by them you be my shield against evil in every creature 
lest it harms me and transgresses against me. Your shelter is most dignified, and your praise is high. There is none worthy of worship except you, and I affirm that there is none worthy of worship except you. So, the only really the real answer that Islam provides is to counsel with Allah the Almighty and to supplicate before Him, whereby you know we can find a level of peace and solace and relief when we turn to Allah the Almighty uh, and, and prostrate before Him. Brother Daniel, what are your thoughts on the approach? I mean, we understand that currently, you know, this insomnia or the segment which we're discussing, the insomnia, insomnia is brought about because of the, the rise in the cost of living. Um, and it's affected so many people and will do so unless there's a change in policy or unless there's, you know, a form of relief which is granted. Yeah, as you were saying that um, the Holy Prophet sallallahu may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said that uh, try to sleep uh, as early as possible after, straight after the late night prayer, uh, Isha prayer. And uh, it, his teachings are based on the teachings of the Holy Quran as um, it comes in the Quran that um, Allah the Almighty says, he is the one who made the night for you, so that you may rest on it and made, and made the day bright, so that you may seek God's grace. Indeed, in this there, indeed, indeed in this, there are signs of Allah's power for those who hear. So yeah, the Quran teachings are so profound um, that uh, it goes according to the nature of, uh, of a person. And um, it, 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 it's in one nature, uh, to sleep at night um, um, so that um, we can work uh, during the day uh, so th that our day can be productive and beneficial for the welfare of mankind. So it's not only for the welfare of the mankind, I think it's al also for the welfare of one's uh, one own being. Uh, certainly, I think um, um, insomnia is uh, taking... Um, at large um, of the lives of um, the, um, uh, mankind, uh, especially in today's day and age, um, as it has been said before, that um, the rise in insomnia is uh, has risen by over 790% um, since uh, August, I think, I believe. And it's a uh, it's a situation which is alarming for for all the uh, all the people um, who are facing different challenges. Like we have so many problems in our uh, uh, day and age, like financial problems. Um, we have you know uh, you know different crises, uh, health problems. So while facing such challenges uh, in our uh, daily life. Uh, uh, you know, uh, one is certainly is being uh, indulged in such a situation, uh, which is beyond his, uh, which is beyond his power. So, yeah, uh, the question uh, question rises here that uh, what sort of you know uh, um, steps or measures we can take um, to tackle um, such situation. So as um, Imam uh, Shah Zeyb has, um, you know, given such a very profound and uh, very 
good points uh, relating to Islamic approach uh, on um, sleeping and um, as I have discussed and I as uh, I have as I have you know uh, given the verse from the Holy Quran that you know Allah the Almighty has uh, told us to sleep at night and work during the day you know this is the phenomena this is the this sort of you know um, the cycle uh, which is in in her which is inherited in our nature and if a person follows this uh, criteria and goes by this criteria uh, one certainly would you know uh, find peace in his heart and contempt uh, otherwise if we try to you know uh, sort of um, uh, break this law or uh, break this cycle we kind of you know tends uh, towards uh, um, um, disrupting our life um, uh, which uh, which in result might be you know um, harmful in many ways uh, to our health to our uh, to our mental health or to our physique as well and uh, yeah yeah like you're right you're bang on um, you know I completely agree the effects that this will have because the the whole angle here is that those people can't sleep because of the financial burdens which you know have been put upon them um, and naturally you know people lose sleep because they care but we need what well, as Muslims you know the approach that we take is albeit a very difficult sort of thing to understand for individual doesn't believe in a God is that we fully rely and put our trust and faith within the one supreme being and you know we turn to him in terms in days of difficulty and also in days of happiness you know to thank him for the blessings that he's given us so it's very important you know for muslims all around the world um to turn to allah the almighty because you know when things do become difficult which they will certainly uh, be as they currently are then he is the only soul um uh, individual that can provide us the relief that can provide us the comfort and indeed the support that we you know so urgently need and you know that's what we find during the life of the holy prophet of islam during the companions um, of the holy prophet of islam and indeed um, his messiah the promised messiah all these noble individuals you know faced various trials and tribulations of a greater scale not of a fiscal scale but of a you know of a change of bringing about a change within um, human mentality and they did so you know over um, a great number of years you know it wasn't sort of you know with the click the fingers um, that you know this change was brought about through supplication through patience and perseverance you know, this change happened and understanding that the difficulties that they were facing um, you know we sort of, we can't even fathom comparing them to the difficulties that you know currently um, you know various people are in so there's always a uh, positive outcome to these things it's um, for Muslims it's just having that faith having the patience and belief that you know things will change and um, you know, not not losing sleep over it. You know, as tough it as it may seem, the Islamic approach has always been that the the hearts they find comfort within the remembrance of Allah the Almighty, and that's a, that's a statement from within the Holy Quran 
So that is the approach which Islam gives and will continue to give. Otherwise, you know, there is only despair for Muslims at least, or people that believe in a God, if they fully leave everything else and think that this is everything, i.e. the world, then, you know, that isn't the life that a Muslim or indeed a person who fears Allah um, lives because then he naturally associates partners with, you know, God, which is the greatest sin, really, a sin which cannot be forgiven. So, in essence, um, and I think just to... um, Get, uh, brothers, you know, what's your thought on you know, the whole angle here? Yeah, uh, before I uh, give my thoughts, um, I thought I'd uh, play a short uh, clip. This is um, uh, from a discussion in the MT program Faith Matters, and this is about um, how the cost of living crisis actually exacerbates issues of uh, for those who are already in poverty. Let's take a listen. And uh, in, in this sense, we have the system of zakat. This is the first and foremost principle. It is next to prayer mentioned throughout the Quran that uh, you are to you are to observe prayer and to give zakat. Why are these two things so linked? One is a relation direct to God. You're praying to God. The other is related to God's creation, zakat. And it's a vast subject. People think it's just about money. It means Everything we have been given by God, whatever the gift we've been given, resource, it could be wealth, it could be land, it could be you know, you know, anything of talent, it could be our energies, we have to constantly share that. And in this sharing of these, these resources on all this multifaceted level, society benefits. And slowly you begin to remove the poor. The poor in the early Muslim era was, was you know, very extreme. They were some of the poorest and most backward nations you can think of, the Arabs. And yet it reached a point after a few centuries in Muslim Spain where there was so much wealth, they said, they didn't know what to do with it. There was no poor to give it to. So they began decorating these mosques. If you see the mosques in Spain, they're so beautiful. Why did they do it? They had all this wealth they were collecting through the system of Islam. They had no one to distribute it to because they had eliminated basically poverty. So they began beautifying God's house. Okay, no worry about man, let's just please God now. You don't make it beautiful, beautiful, large, palatial type of uh, places to worship. And uh, that's possible if you adopt this system. Uh, I mean, this is the basic principle. Beyond that, I think the overriding, or or let's say the underlying uh, motive is you do it for the sake of God Almighty. And, you know, I think we mentioned this over and over again. A society that removes God from the equation eventually becomes very vicious in its nature. And, the, you know, the humanist concept that we, uh, we can do this without God and we'll have just, no, that has failed over and over again. You know, recent communist Russia and these places, they are classic examples. Slowly but surely, the nature of man says his greed and this nature of man to be self-centered and selfish it overpowers his desire to help the other. And so it's a higher level that one has to rise to, to really be uh, uh, conscious of fellow suffering and fellow humanity and to provide for them. So this comes to a society where it's based on, uh, first and foremost, true faith in God and true belief in God. And society attempts to adopt the attributes of God and one of the ones that we've mentioned already on, on this program 
is grace. It's surprising that in the Quran, when God says to adopt my attribute, he says, Ibadur Rahman, you become servants of the gracious God. Why this attribute is mentioned is so important, it comes to poverty and all these issues. God's grace, his Rahman, is that attribute that doesn't discriminate whether one believes or doesn't believe in him. Whether one is of one category, high, low, whatever, doesn't matter. It doesn't even discriminate based on whether you are human or, or non-human. Grace is for everyone and everything. Like we say, rain falls on the, the sinner as well as falls on the saint. That's grace. And so God is saying to us, adopt this attribute first and foremost, and then the rest will flow from that. You'll begin to create a society based on graciousness and based on liberal pr provision for all people that will move these things. But if you don't, then you fall to the other part. And there's a very slight difference. The, the Rahman, you add a little dot to it, it becomes Rajam. And the word Rajam in Arabic means the rejected, the accursed one. So a very slight difference in society by a slight measure, one dot, and you can say an Arabic word, from Rahman to Rajam. You go from a, a gracious society to a very accursed one, a very difficult one to live in. And that's what we see in most cases now, that uh, these societies that gone away from God's teachings, because they're, they're in the Bible, they're in the Torah, they're in all scriptures, to take care of the needy, provide for them out of a sign of your love of God. <clears throat> Once that's moved away from, it becomes material, it becomes capital nature, it becomes all about the self-centered nature, society suffers. So to me, this is the first step in terms of how to change a society that's you know, struggling with poverty, bring back the quality of graciousness, and then two, bring in the elements of equality, equal just distribution of resources across the board so all can benefit, even allow some to be rich and poor, doesn't matter, but um, the last thing I would say is the verse in Quran, I think, I believe it's in Surah Bani Israel, that it talks about and that brings us uh, towards the end of the show today. I must thank our presenter, uh, my fellow presenters, Imam Shahzeb Athar and Imam Daniel Ahmed, as well as uh, our producers, Imam Rahman, researchers, Ruksana Nasser and Rajia Haroon, as well as excellent tech support from Mr. Tahir. Uh, we shall be back uh, in a week's time with another live episode of The Breakfast Show. There will be another live show tomorrow, so please do tune in at 7 a.m tomorrow and there will also be a live drive time show today this afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. so please do uh, tune in for that as well so until next week um, this is me Daniel Zia signing off uh, and inshallah um, see you next uh, um, or talk to you next Monday God willing Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Verily I tell you truly that whosoever evades even the least of the 700 commandments embodied in the Holy Quran slams the door of salvation upon himself. The real and perfect paths of salvation have been opened by the Holy Quran. All others were only its shadows. Therefore, you should study this holy scripture with the utmost attention and deepest thought, and you should love it as you have never loved anything else. For indeed, as God has conveyed to me, Al-Khayru Kulluhu Fil Quran, all good lies in the Quran, all kinds of good are to be found in it, and this is the truth.